This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets travel to Bramall Lane, where a Sheffield United side we're hoping to put some ghosts to bed. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the No Name Never podcast. I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and I am joined this week by regular panellists and Two members of Team Known and Ever, Richard Steele and Tom Whitaker, uh, both of whom were at the game on Saturday. And we are here in a slightly subdued mood, I'm afraid, because, of course, the Clarets fell um, away at Sheffield United. It was a game that we were all massively looking forward to. We thought that it was going to be um, a really intriguing game and a fantastic technical battle Um Unfortunately, it was not to be, and the Clarets um, whimpered really in the end to a to a three nil loss, which has has really taken a little bit of a stump to our season, I think. Um, so, what are we going to do about that? Well, this week we decided that we would let you take over, and we have been through social media over the last few um, days, well, since the game really, just to try and get a little bit of a feel for what you are thinking. And we're going to go through those tweets and try and make some sense with exactly what happened at the weekend. Um, and yeah, let's get going. So, uh, Richard, I'm going to start with you. Welcome, welcome to the show again. Hi, Natalie. Uh, always a pleasure to be on. Good. Well, um, I'm going to come back to your tweet in a, in a minute, but um, just give us your overview of, of how you felt coming off the game at the weekend. Um, by full time, I was kind of almost accepted it, but at our time, I was obviously just, you know, bitterly disappointed. Um, you know, you go to Sheffield United with the whole that, you know, you've got to be really competitive within the game. And I, I thought we was going to be, you know, like really tight. Um, you know, it was going to be like compact. I think we was going to keep it... Um, you know, we wouldn't be as loose as we was against Chelsea and it was just the complete opposite. And it was just one of them where, you know, that that first half just went bad to worse. I thought to myself after 10 minutes, you know, it could be a long afternoon this and it proved to be. What do you think, what do you think was missing then, generally speaking? Do you think it was an attitude and mentality about them? Do you think they were technically outdone or do you think they were just not as good a side as Sheffield? 
Well, you know, firstly, we, we have got to give credit to Sheffield United. I thought they looked a really good outfit. Um, I watched them against Arsenal um, a couple of weeks ago and I, and I thought they was excellent then. But my biggest, you know, problem was, um, and I tweeted it, I, I did tweet it at our time, was I didn't think our mentality was right. And what really disappointed me was that we didn't seem to have the same fight there. Um, under a dice team, we may lack a bit of technical ability or tactical flexibility, but we never lacked in fight. Um, you know, and, and on Saturday, Sheffield United just simply wanted it more. And as he alluded to on the podcast the previous week, said we need to make changes and we didn't. Um, and the team just looked a little bit stale to me. Well, we're going to come back to that tweet in a minute because that's one of the ones that I did highlight here. And obviously, I know that's something that you were pretty keen on. But let's let's move to Tom first and just get your thoughts. Um, Tom, welcome back again. Um, you must be feeling pretty down as well or are you slightly more optimistic? I think of the 90 minutes where dreadful uh, as bad as we played all year really probably the worst we've played since the uh the first half of last season um i'm not too worried in in the long term just yet hopefully it's a one-off rather than part of a trend but uh it, it really was a really poor performance i think uh, i agree with what richard said about the, the attitude being off they didn't really approach the game perhaps in the, as they would do it uh, you know a team like chelsea or, or man united digging in being solid, throwing themselves in the way of things, and that obviously wasn't the right mentality to say. I have to say, I thought we were really disappointing tactically as well. I thought Dice really got out thought over the 90 minutes by Wilder. I think going forward, we were far too one-dimensional, far too predictable. We've seen some away games this season where that approach hasn't been working and we've changed things up at half-time, Brighton away or uh, or Aston Villa away when, when the tactics haven't been working. We've, we've changed the shape a little bit. But we didn't see that at half time. Um, we, we stayed in the same shape and, and we kept getting the same results. And uh, defensively, uh, yeah, a lot's been made about Sheffield United's overlapping centre halves, the, the extra man out wide, the overlaps on the flanks. And we just didn't look set up to deal with that at all. Um, so I think a lot there's been a lot of criticism of the attitude and, and, and the application of the players. Uh, I'd noticed on the uh, on the official website the comments that Daesh made afterwards. He said it was nothing to do with tactics, but I didn't agree with that at all. I thought that just as much as the players made mistakes and just as much as the players weren't at the races, I thought Daesh had uh, a bit of an off day as well. well that's really interesting that, that you that you say that. Um, I think if we. I guess address the mentality first, and then we'll we'll come back to look at this the, the tactical side of it. Uh, we'll start off with, with your tweets, and we'll start looking at, at Alice, who tweeted to say that um, I'm absolutely not for booing the players, but they absolutely deserve after this bag of, um, well, you can guess. Um, I can't even describe how terrible we've been. Now, Richard, I know you you very much subscribe to this theory as well, and that you will boo a side off there. Um, but I believe from what we've heard that there was rumblings of it leaving the ground. Do you think it was in this case justified, or do you think there's that we're not at that stage yet? I'm a fan of the whole booing. I think you can vent your frustration in other way, but you know, to boo, um, you know, the players know they played they played poorly. I don't see what good it does, but like, who am I to say that everyone's got? you know, a right to do what they want to do really within reason because because they pay their money. You know, these lads who we've had over these last few years, they've done so much for the club. Uh, you know, we've, like Tom said, that was our worst half of the season. Um, you know, last two games haven't been great, but, you know, it's far from a crisis. And I think to boo the players, is a, you know, is a bit over the top. Um, yes, but like I said, every fan's got an, an opinion to, you know, to vent their frustration. I like 
Oh, absolutely. And I've never been one to to tell people how they're supposed to react to certain situations. Um, I think sticking with that, Richard, I think the, the next tweet that we came across was from Matty Omerod, who said that he can handle getting beat, but he can't handle not putting the effort in. Now, if the if the justification for some section of the fans who did boo the players off the pitch was that that effort was not there, do you agree with Matty? Did you see a lack of effort or do you subscribe more to what Tom was saying and you think that it was more a tactical problem? I think it was a bit of both. I think down the flank just completely got battered. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't say there was a complete lack of effort, but I would say there was a lack of the same desire as well. Sheffield United were chasing balls down quicker, they were sharper to everything, and they did look hungrier. Um, so yeah, I can't disagree with what was it Matty with what Matty said there. I think he's I think he is spot on. Um but I still think we picked the wrong team and I think that's got a massive factor uh, to you know to do with it as well. Okay, well that's that's interesting. Uh, we'll look at the team again in more depth. So Tom, let's come back to you then and we were obviously you're looking at this tactical um, awareness. Um that's very much a point that John Wilson tweeted and he said Burnley have simply been outworked. Pressed high, forcing the long ball, lose out possession and repeat. The inability to play the ball through midfield is poor. And when they do get the ball, it's either sideways or backwards, killing any momentum trying to go forward. Now, this sideways passing is something that's a bugbear for a few fans this season. But actually, on the whole, it does work. And I think we play very well when we have that calmness and we can just stop that opposition playing but I, I know I've I've been really frustrated in games where suddenly we'll take the ball and there's a pass forward and suddenly everybody gets excited because the team start charging forward and whoever gets the ball has to stop put his foot on it play it back across and change wings then maybe pass it back to Ben May and oh well let's let's have Nick Pope have a go as well and then we start all over again and we we are guilty I think sometimes of killing momentum in games now is that what you meant when you were saying tactically, or do you think you know? Would you agree with John there, Tom, that that happened? I think uh, in some of the home games, that's certainly a complaint you can have. I think uh, sometimes if if we've got the ball in the middle of midfield, we don't know how to to break the lines. We don't know how to move into the final third effectively. But I think actually on Saturday we could have done with um, a bit more of that. I think the problem on Saturday was the uh, we just couldn't keep the ball at all. Uh, we went, you know, we like to go long. We like to hit the strikers. We really miss Chris Wood up there. But I think the fact that they had three centre halves made it far too easy to defend against that long ball. Uh, Barnes barely won a header all day. It's not Rodriguez's game to get the ball and yeah, this back to goal like that for me. Um, I think we could have done with a bit more of, of keeping the ball on the ground, moving it around um, between the centre half. Well, I say between the centre half, maybe not letting Tarkovsky on the ball as much the, the form he's in at the minute. But I think the problem was that we didn't keep the ball enough, really, um, in, in terms of our own possession. Um, I think in the middle of midfield, games like that where we do need to keep the ball better, we, we really look exposed. Cork and Westwood are, are very similar players. They put themselves about a lot. Um, they'll run all day. But when you've got the extra man in midfield like Sheffield United had, um, the ball retention needs to be better. The range of passing needs to be better. And I think Cork and Westwood are both uh, are both similar in that I don't think they've got that kind of range of passing. And I certainly don't think they've they've got they've got it in them to to pick out a good twenty thirty yard ball when they're under pressure. So I think uh, I think for me, if we'd have managed five or ten minutes in that first half where we did get a foot on the ball, pass it around between the the midfielders, the centre halves, the keeper. 
and just kept the ball for five minutes, that would have been a big improvement in the performance. But there just wasn't enough of that for me. So I think in terms of ourselves going forward, we were too one-dimensional. We were too quick to hit the the ball forward. And I th- you probably count on one hand the amount of second balls we won all day. So I think in terms of the tactical battle, I think if we're just talking about attacking, that was where we went wrong and probably could spend another good five, ten minutes talking about where we went wrong defensively as well. OK, well, let's let's have a look at that midfield then before we move on. Richard, in your tweet, when you you'd, obviously you'd highlighted what you talked about last week and how the, we needed to make changes at the weekend, which didn't actually happen. But one of the, the comments that you made was that you think that, as well as Taylor, that Brady has to start next week. Are, are you still convinced that that's the case? And, and how where do you play him? Yeah, I would like to see a Brady start. I think the time when he's come on this season... He, he has got. He has looked good. He's somebody who can get his foot on the ball. He can play. He's comfortable on the ball. Um, and I'll keep McNeil on the left with Taylor because I think they've got a good partnership. Um, and I'd like to see you know Brady on the right. Brady's not blessed with pace, uh, but he's got a really nice left foot. So if he can cut inside um, on his left foot and you know and get good delivery into the box, then that's something that I think we need. When we play entry wise, it's just for me, it's absolutely utterly pointless. He's not a winger. You've got him and Lawton, who just don't link up that well either. Um, so for me, that's just a futile exercise. I'm playing Hendrick out wide. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see Brady in the team, get Taylor back in the team. And I think already when you in, in the second half, there was improvement, sir, and we did keep the ball better. And yeah, so for me, I, I think you know going forward on Saturday, I think that's what we need. And what about you, Tom? What changes, obviously assuming that, that you still want to make changes to that defence, you, you insinuated there that you could talk for some time about the defence and what, what went wrong there. I think there was quite um, a general consensus that, that Taylor actually managed to win himself a man of the match performance in just his second half. I know Becca Stubbs, she said that Taylor was the only one that came out with any credit. Um, and again, Richard in his tweet did say that he also wanted Taylor to, to start. I mean. I think that seems to be the consensus now that that uh, Peters loses his place and Taylor starts. But are we suggesting here that there's any changes to be made from from the centre halves at all? I think it's perhaps a bit early to talk about changing the centre halves. I think um, I think I agree with with the people who are saying replace Peters for Taylor. I think a lot of people have been saying that for a few weeks. In all fairness, I've seen Peters get a lot of criticism, and I don't think he's been awful. I don't think he's been terrible but I think it's fair to clear to most people that Taylor's a better player than Peters so I don't think it's massively controversial to say get Taylor in there um, and I think probably there's a few who would say that Lone's made a few mistakes in the last few weeks and, and would like to see Barsley get maybe a couple of games as well and I'm probably leaning towards that, that argument as well I think with regards to the centre-halves they've been two of our better performers for a long time now, it's been me's 300th game Uh on Saturday, Tarkovsky as well. I think prior to the last two games, he's probably been our best player this season. Now he was really poor, really, really. I think it's probably as bad as I've seen him play for us on Saturday. And I think me wasn't much better. But I don't think that there's enough. So I mean, Bardsley and and Lowton have probably been much of a muchness. Well, they've both been here. I think, as I say, most people probably agree that Taylor's a better player than Peters. But I think you'd be hard pushed to find people that would seriously argue that Gibson is a better player than Ben Mee or that Kevin Long is a better player than Tarkovsky. So for me, I wouldn't be rushing to change the centre-halves. I know the counter-argument for that is you could say, well, if, they, if they're a bit too complacent, if they're getting comfortable, then uh, then the, the form might suffer as a, as a consequence. But 
I think we've seen uh, we've seen last season that me and Tarkovsky can can get their form back up to where it needs to be if they have to. They've both got half an hour in England place, and that's that's perhaps a, a, as much of a motivation for them as, as anything. So I think for me on Saturday, with regards to the defence, I would be swapping the fullbacks. I'd be playing Bardsley and, and Taylor instead of Peters and Lowton. But I think it would it would have to be a few a few games in a row where where Tarkovsky and me played that badly before I'd be looking to change them. I don't think Gibson or Longer are really upgrades on those two positions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm firmly in the view that those three, so Tarkovsky, me and Pope, need to be the spine of the team and they need to stay there. Um, like you say, if any changes need to be made in defence, it does need to be the, the full-backs. Um, I guess looking at other changes across the pitch, and, and I think we, well... Bashir said himself, hasn't he, that he, he said he spoke to the players at half-time about the journey we've been on and what we've been good at. And today they came up a side that, that did that to, to them. Um, and, and since he's gone on, and it's very much been interpreted in the media, that he's saying that the shirts are up for grabs. Um, Matthew Stubbs very much articulated this when he said that it's time to give some players a reality check. Two of them know... Too, sorry, too many of them, not just two of them. <laughs> too many of them know that no matter how poor they play, their places in the team are safe. That needs to change now. Changes needed to be made next week, and that needs to start with the two fullbacks. Now, Richard, are we not still in that age-old problem, though, that even though the squad's bigger than it ever has been, we talked at length at the beginning of the season about how we had two places for every single position, but as Tom rightly said there, a lot of the, the backup players just aren't of the same quality. So how is Deitch going to create that fight for places and, and, and get them back on track where they need to be? I don't think we need to change like seven or eight players. Uh, for me, I, I do agree with what Matthew said. I think I'd change the two uh, full-backs. We've discussed Taylor at, at length and I think Lawton's done OK this season. But since he made that mistake against Chelsea, his head just looked completely shot. Um, you know, so many times he was caught out of position on on Saturday and he was just all over the show, to be honest. And personally, I, I like Bartley. Uh, he gets stuck in, he's got fight in him. He's a better out and out defender than what Lawton is, in my opinion. He's he's not got the same craft and guile on the ball, but I think we just need to go back to being um, tighter. Um, but yeah, I don't think going back to, you know, yeah, we've not got the players to make great changes. I fully agree with Tom. Our centre-half period now of lives have been very good for us. It wasn't too long ago that everyone was outraged that Taki Me was in, wasn't in the England squad and all of a sudden now they're, they're getting dropped. Um, I would like to see, and I said this before, I'd like to see Hendrick and Westwood get a go in midfield. Cork's been a great player for us. I just think he's too slow at the moment. I think sometimes we're, you know, we're carrying him. Um, so I'd like to see Hendrick have a go in midfield and, like I said before, put Brady out wide. When Hendricks played in midfield this season, I thought he's looked good and he's looked the player that we signed. He played in midfield at home at Everton. Him and Westwood were really good in there. And then he played in central midfield against Leicester, where, where I thought he had a good game and the team played well. And then all of a sudden, Cork comes back in, uh, Cork comes back from injury and Hendricks straight back into the team, uh, Hendricks back alive. Um, so I think third and main changes I would have made, I changed the two full-backs. I put Hendrick into midfield, Brady misses out. And Wood needs to come back up front, and I'd like to see Wood play with Rodriguez because Barnes isn't playing well at the moment. Well, that was wonderfully done, Richard. Because our next segment, our next batch of tweets is addressing the strike force. Now, of course, we do have to 
prepare for the eventuality that Wood isn't going to be back. We thought he was only being rested against Chelsea and we were fully prepared to see him back against Sheffield and he he wasn't there. So, of course, we all completely understand that when Wood is missing, we don't necessarily have the same options as we would do if he's in the team. Um, As... Well, the reality of the weekend was is that we had no shots on target, which is is pretty poor. So let's let's start looking at that front two. Um, Tom, I'll start with you. Um, Ian Montgomery tweeted to say that Barnes and Rodriguez is a pretty naff strike partnership. Um, on reflection, he would play one of them up top with Vidra in a wide role, um, and Hendrick would have been much more intelligent against the Sheffield United side. So let's look at the worst case scenario, Tom. And let's assume that that Chris Wood isn't fit for West Ham at the weekend. What do you do then? Do you share Richard's view that Barnes needs to be rested, or do you, you know, what do you do? It's a difficult one because I don't think that there's that many options that that leap out at me. I and mean, uh, the, the tweet there about playing Vidra in a wide role, I suppose you'd be looking at a four three three. Then you'd have one of Barnes or Rodriguez on their own up front, and you'd maybe have McNeil on the other wing and three in midfield. To me, I don't see his change in formation in the next game. I think he will stick with Barnes and Rodriguez. Um, it's, I think it's quite difficult to judge how effective they've been as a strike partnership. They've had two games together. They've had the Chelsea game where, you know, perhaps if Barnes had, had put away one of those first half chances, you'd be talking about them both getting a goal and, and working okay. I think the problem on Saturday was they just didn't get any service. I mean, for me, Rod- I've seen Rodriguez get a lot of criticism saying he's off the pace, he's, he doesn't look interested. I mean, I don't think he got a ball he could do anything with the old game. Uh, you know, it, there's no point pumping it in his head for 90 minutes. You've got to try and play it into his feet and I think we'll have a bit more scope to do that at home. Um, I think probably the, the main problem with with, with those two as a, as a front two is if you're not getting the service then by the, mid, the midfield because I don't think either of them are as strong or as good as at holding the ball up as Chris Wood has been this season, especially not Rodriguez. I think you want Rodriguez coming a little bit deeper, maybe picking the ball up, turning and laying it off to a midfielder and there just wasn't any midfielders near him on Saturday. So I don't think, I think if Wood was injured, I don't think I'd be looking to change Barnes and Rodriguez. I think the changes that I'd be looking to make, uh, as Richard said earlier, they'd be in the midfield and I think that's what would give them the most help. I think the tweet you read there said it would be better to get Hendrick maybe a little bit further forward, and I think I have to agree with that. He's definitely not a winger. He really struggled um, going outside his man, and he really struggled keeping up with the full-backs as well on Saturday. But for me, I don't think Cork has done that much this season to say he should have walked straight back into the middle of midfield. I think Hendrick probably was worth a, a bit of a run of games there. It's interesting that there's a lot of positions where Dice show, for example, at left-back, Peters has stayed in even when Taylor's come back fit. But Cork seems to be a player who walks straight back into the team as soon as he is fit. It doesn't matter how well the person in front of him has been playing. Um, but for me, I agree. I, I'd like to see Cork drop to the bench. I'd like to see Hendrick in there. I think if you have Hendrick and Westwood as two, you've got a little bit more ability on the ball. I think you've got someone who's capable of just pushing on from midfield and just arriving into the box, nicking the odd goal. I think Cork and Westwood got three between them last season. Hendrick got that on his own. And then I think as well, if you move Hendrick inside, you've got more from the wings. So I think I agree with the point that Brady should be in for a few games now. Obviously, you've got McNeil. He didn't play well on Saturday. But I thought he was a bit unlucky to get hooked ahead of Hendrick. 
because he is a better winger than Hendrick. He's, he's got that kind of je ne sais quoi. You, you might think you get a little moment of magic from him that you probably don't get from any other other players at the minute. So I think for me, I think Barnes and Rodriguez, I think it's too early to write that off as a strike partnership. I'd stick with that for West Ham if Ward was out. Um, but I'd be hoping to get a bit more support from the midfield. I'd, I'd be hoping that Hendrick and Rodriguez could could link a bit more. I'd be hoping there wouldn't be so much distance between the centre forwards and the midfield. And I'd be hoping they'd get some decent service from out wide instead of just long balls coming from the centre halves or from the full backs. Uh, so, yeah, I think I, 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 I just don't see a place for Vidra in, in that team at the minute. Um, I think I'd stick with, with what Richards has said and, and I think I'd agree absolutely with, with the team that he suggested earlier. Yeah, I think that seems to be the common consensus. Um, UTC didn't, I don't know who he is called, but he's called up the clarets. Um, he actually disagrees with the Vidra um, analysis and says that he he felt that 12 minutes for, for Vidra at the weekend was really, really poor. Um, he, he would actually start him and he thought that he wanted him on for much longer at the weekend. So um, there is some love out there for Vidra, for sure. There's uh, some people who are perhaps suggesting that he is the person that needs to come in. Um Richard, obviously, it, it's quite difficult to pick yourself up after a result like that. And it's because we care and it's because the fans really wanted to see us compete against Sheffield. You know, we are all impressed with them. They have done really well since they've come up. They are an impressive looking outfit. But we should be performing better than we are. Our experience dictates that we should be stronger than we were at the weekend. So as a result, there has been quite a lot of negativity filtered through social media. And that's, you know what, that's okay. People are allowed that form of therapy. They're allowed to voice their frustration that the game hasn't gone the way they have done. Um, But that said, we can't take away from the fact, can we, that we have still started brightly this season. We're still on 12 points. We are, we've dropped down to 14th, but we're still four points clear away from Southampton who are in, in 18th place at the position. Um, a few people, I think Johnny Bentley very much said this when he, he said that, that the weekend was very much an important wake-up call, but there's no need to react. He felt this was actually the first bad defeat of the season. And he's hoping that this provides a bit of a kick up the backside that the players need. Um, just to get rid of perhaps that complacency. And I think now the dust has settled and we've had a chance to analyse it tonight, do you still feel comfortable this season? Do you still feel that we're performing where we're supposed to be? You know, we've played some really good football this season, you know, and I think we've had games where we've deserved something from. We should have won at Wolves. I thought we should have come at Arsenal. I went down there. Um, there was one more game where we got more from, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but then there's other games like Villa, where the first half was poor, Brighton, um, where we was largely poor and lucky to get a point. So I think overall we we deserve to be where we are. And yeah, this is four change needed rather than seven or eight and changing the centre half or anything. For me, I'm not panicking just yet because, like you said, we're still four points above the relegation zone. And we've, we, we, I think next up we've got West Ham at home and Watford away, you know, which are two pictures we should be looking to get points at. I would start to worry if we put in another performance like that on Saturday and, and got a bit of a beating because rather than just a little bit of a blip, that would then indicate that there's something wrong, um, you know, from the start of the season, something, something's happened. So, like I said, I'm not panicking too much just now. At the start of the season, if somebody said after 11 games, you would be 40, four, four points above the relegation zone, you would have took that. Uh, but at the same time, you can't just 
be so blase to ignore the fact that how bad we was on Saturday. Um, you know, that has, like I said, you know, you've you've got to forget about it, but at the same time, it's still got to be addressed. I thought Dash came out and he did a really good post-match interview. I think sometimes when he loses, sugarcoats it. Um, he, he glossed over the fact that Howie Wernie starts blaming, like he said, the diet and other factors, but you could clearly see he wasn't happy on. So I think with what he said, that the shirts are available now, is a clear indication that he, that he will make changes. Uh, you know, but to summarise, yeah, he's still been a decent start, some good performance, some some good performances, some, you know, not, not so good to being by far the worst. Let's just hope that's just an isolated because we don't carry that on um, into the game on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I do share that. I'm I'm not panicking in any way, shape or form. Um, Tom, Gary Proctor very much agrees with this and he's he sent quite a, a motivational tweet that just said, next week, we get a huge win next week and today never happened. And that's so true. One of the, the wonderful things about football is there, all, there is always next week. But actually, when you look at the Clarets' next features, the fix, fixtures for November, we actually have a really fantastic opportunity to put this little blip behind us. The next three, we've got three games in November with the international break. We're playing West Ham at home on Saturday. Then the next game is away at Watford. And then we're at home to Crystal Palace. Now, Tom, I don't want to say that we could be looking at nine points out of nine from that, but surely that should be the aim from those three fixtures. Yeah, absolutely. I think in isolation, they're all winnable games. Uh, West Ham were just as bad as us, I think, on Saturday, looking at the highlights. The first teams to concede more than one goal in a game against Newcastle. And uh, we saw last season that if you're in a bit of a rut and you've got you want a doozy of a fixture, then West Ham at home is, <laughs> is certainly one that you pick. So yeah, I think you'd be you'd be hoping uh, that we we could win that game. Watford still without a win all season. They look really poor against Chelsea. They could have been four or five down before they got that rather dubious penalty to get them back into the game. Um, so again, you'd be you'd be looking to go there and say if if there's any fixture we can we can use to turn around the the bit of uh, poor away form that we're in at the minute, you'd want that one. I think Crystal Palace would be the hardest game of those three. I think they're really good away. I think we saw it at the turf last season. I think when we played them at home, it was the second half of the season when we were playing a lot better and, and they still gave us a paste in. So I'd perhaps be slightly more cautious about saying we should be looking at three points from that fixture. But if we got five or six from the next three, it'd be a good return. It'd keep us uh, at arm's length from that bottom three, especially if we, we take points off Watford. And uh, if you know, if we're all being realistic, we'd love to get in the top half. We'd love to put a good run of form together. But I think we're one of a good nine or ten teams in the league that are going to go on good runs, going to go on bad runs, and and at the end of the season, we're going to be sort of in or around mid table, and we're gonna we're gonna be clear of the relegation zone. And, and you've got to be happy with that, really. Absolutely. And, and we always say this, as much as we want to start making improvements each season and every season that we we continue to, to remain in, in the Premier League is hugely positive. And there is nothing at the moment to suggest that this is anything other than a bad a bad October. Um, Richard, one thing looking forward to the game at the weekend, I was listening to a West Ham fan discuss and um, preview the game at the weekend. And one of the points that he made was that actually West Ham look very, very weak mentally at the moment and he doesn't think that there is a, a mental resilience in that that in that side which gives them the ability to get up for the fight now that is one thing that you can't question about our boys they might get complacent at times they might get technically outnumbered which is what we've seen at the weekend but you can't 
you can't question their mental ability to stay in games and to fight for their position, can you? No. Um, normally with this team, when they do come under heavier criticism than usual, so I normally back with a positive performance. And like Tom said, uh, you know, you couldn't be playing West Ham at a better time. They had a decent start to the season, pretty poor. Um, and last season, we just, I'd probably say that's our most convincing um, home win of the season. You know, we, and, we sh- and we should have won by a mob. That's why I'd like to see someone like Barnsley playing. Uh, sorry, Barnsley playing. It'd give you that fight. It'd give you that energy. Last season, so the key threat's probably Felipe Anderson. And he just was into him early on. And you didn't see him for the rest of the game. So on Saturday, we need to go out there, you know, high intensity, high pressure, um, like, like, like we know we can do. Um, but I do think the football is absolutely crucial in that game. Say, you know, for whatever reason, we don't get a foothold in the game and, you know, West Ham start dictating play and then they get the first goal. Our heads, you know, could easily go down and vice versa. So I think that's absolutely crucial. You know, you look this season when we have gone ahead, we've not lost. Uh, I think we've, the only game we've not won in when we've gone ahead is the Wolves game. That was a last-minute penalty. So, yeah, I think I do fancy us on Saturday. I think we'll come back strong. I think we'll come back with that high intensity that we need. But at the same time, that first goal is absolutely crucial and I think that'll go a long way to turning the results of the game. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually feeling really positive about the weekend. I feel like I feel like this is going to be the Everton not not as maybe as extreme as the Everton game last season, but I feel like Deitch is in the same mentality after the weekend that he was a boxing day last year, that he's just got them all together and gone, bang the reds together and said, Come on, like this isn't what we're about. Don't you know, you can't switch off for one minute. You've got to keep that intensity. You've got to keep that belief and you've got to keep that fight for everything. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to make a success of the product that we've built. Um, I'm going to leave the the analysis there. I feel like we've had a good therapy session. I'm certainly feeling a lot cheerier than I, I was before I came on the show. Um, but I am going to ask you both for your man of the match, please. Tom, let's start with you. <laughs> yeah, I think we mentioned it earlier. I don't think you could say anyone who started was put in a performance that's anything like deserving of a man in the match award I think probably just for being the least worst as opposed to the best I'd have to say Taylor <laughs> the least worst <laughs> what an accolade I'm sure he's gonna be thrilled uh, Richard who was your man of the match yeah same as Tom I actually thought Taylor played really well when he come on he defended well he never got caught down his flank um, like loads of Peters did and he tried to carry the ball forward um, and you know he got a few good crosses in so yeah too. that's good um were there any VAR? I wasn't at the game at the weekend. I had to miss it, unfortunately. But um, did either of you see any VAR incidents that, that needed reviewing that we need to check about? Was there any long delays or anything that caused any problems in the game? Well, there wasn't a massive long delay, but I think we had an appeal for a ball from a corner or a set piece, but it got away pretty quickly and I've not seen it back um, on, on video or anything like that. So I, I can't really comment on it, even though the ref was pretty poor before. No, that's fine. The, the, the main yeah, reason. the ref. Go on, Tom. Sorry, I was going to say there was as well as the uh, the handball, and I think when you see it back, I think his arms by his side. It would have been very harsh. Um, there was a, a moment in the first couple of minutes where Rodriguez went down and a little flick on the back of his ankle. The referee somehow gave a corner. Um, it, it should have been either a penalty or a goal kick. Um, the the contact, the amount of contact was not dissimilar to the amount of contact that Chris would put on Johnny Evans for the disallowed goal at Leicester. So I don't think it was a penalty, but again, there's no consistency from the VAR. So uh, I just had to get that little moan in there. 
No, please feel free. That, that is absolutely, this is what we're here for, Tom. I like to, to bring you on so you can air these views. I, I worry about the first family of Burnley if you don't manage to come on the podcast and get these out here. Um, I think the, the main reason I was asking about VAR is obviously we've had the the controversy with the, the armpit offside this season and the, the length, that, sorry, this weekend and, and the lengths that VAR are going to to um, rule out perfectly good goals. It very much feels at the moment like VAR's... Um, whole purpose is to find a way to rule out a perfectly good goal rather than, as you say, try and actually iron out the the genuine fouls and mistakes in the game and actually apply some consistency. Um, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to be the, the, the day to talk about VAR. I think we've had enough on our plates. We're not going to then start whinging about VAR as well. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. We're going to have a short podcast this week because I feel like we've We've talked through the issues. Um, we've, I think, reached the conclusion between us that this was an off day, a bad day at the office, and that's going to happen, and it may very well happen again before the end of the season. Um, there are appropriate places in the team that need to be changed. I think we're all pretty much in agreement where they need to be. Um, there's been some suggestions as how we can freshen things up in midfield and also differences of opinion as to what we do up front on the assumption that Chris Wood's not going to make it. But what we are confident about is that Deitch will be able to, to get them back up for the weekend. And we've got an absolutely fantastic opportunity this November to just forget about this. And, and if we start that um, trip to away trip to City at the beginning of December, yeah, Merry Christmas, thanks, Santa, um, we could very well be, be much further up the table and, and we will have forgotten all about Sheffield United. So let's let's hope that way. But let us know what you think. We've, we've concentrated a lot on your tweets tonight. We have looked at um, all of the different opinions, all the different whinges and all the different positive attitudes that you've had towards the game. But if you um, if you think we've missed anything tonight or anything that you want to add, join the conversation. You can tweet us at Nona Never or you can send us an email at podcast at net. My thanks as ever go to Richard and Tom for joining me in the studio this week and giving that absolutely fantastic analysis. I think they would brought some fantastic context rather than just uh, sitting here and, and crying over crying over the poor performance. Uh, they've, they've given some really in-depth analysis there. I'm really grateful. Um, thanks to Matt, producer Matt, as ever, for editing all of this together and for producing the final version that you are listening to right now. And thanks to the band Joyce for letting us have their music for today's episode. And as ever, thanks to you, the listener. Uh, you know, we say this every single week, but it is genuinely heartfelt. We we wouldn't be here without you and your support is very much appreciated and we will be back on Friday myself and Dave Statman Dave to preview that West Ham game and myself and the team will be back next Tuesday to hopefully discuss much happier times I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Known and Never podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.